On August the 12th, 2020, ACOG released an updated practice bulletin number 226 ahead of print. This is covering screening for fetal chromosomal abnormalities. And while we've heard this practice bulletin or reviewed it before, there are some important changes specifically regarding cell-free DNA. Some patients may actually be at higher risk of maternal cancer based on their result. And what exactly do we need to tell younger women who opt in for cell-free DNA genetic screening? Well, in this podcast, we're going to cover this newly released not yet in print, ACOG Practice Bulletin, which is number 226, the updated screening for fetal chromosomal abnormalities. Hey, this is Beth, labor and delivery nurse in College Station, Texas, and this is Clinical Pearls. Cell-free DNA screens for aneuploidies using the analysis of cell-free DNA fragments in the maternal circulation starting at about 9 to 10 weeks of pregnancy and, unlike other analyte screening, can be done all the way until term. The fetal compartment of cell-free DNA is derived from placental trophoblasts that are released into the maternal circulation from cells undergoing programmed cell death. The fetal component is known as the fetal fraction, and it comprises about 3 to 13 percent of the total cell-free DNA in maternal blood. The quantity of cell-free DNA from the fetal component increases throughout gestation. The quantity of the fetal fraction is affected by many factors, including but not limited to gestational age, maternal BMI, maternal medication exposure, maternal race, aneuploidy status if present, fetal or maternal mosaism, and singleton or multiple gestations. Depending on the laboratory, cell-free DNA screening can be performed as early as 9 weeks, although higher fetal fractions at 10 weeks and beyond are associated with lower rates of test failure. All right, podcast family, here's a clinical pearl. Cell-free DNA is the most sensitive and specific screening test for the most common fetal aneuploidies. Nevertheless, it has the potential for false positive and false negative tests, as do all screening tests. Furthermore, cell-free DNA testing is not equivalent to diagnostic testing. Cell-free DNA is the only laboratory screening test to identify fetal sex and sex chromosome aneuploidies. Of note, the sex chromosome results for patients who have undergone organ transplantation will be affected by the sex of the organ donor and therefore sex chromosome testing is not recommended in this population. I thought that was kind of interesting. The most recent meta-analysis evaluating test performance for cell-free DNA screening reports a greater than 99% detection rate for fetal trisomy 21, 98% detection rate for fetal trisomy 18, and 99% detection rate for fetal trisomy 13, with a combined false positive rate of 0.13%. Of note, these numbers were calculated for samples in which the result is actually returned. Patients whose cell-free DNA screening results are not reported by a laboratory or are uninterpretable, in other words, a no-call test result, are at increased risk for chromosomal abnormalities and patients need to have specific genetic counseling in that situation. 
Now, because trisomy 13 is a rare disorder, fewer affected cases are available to review, with reported detection rates varying from 40% to 100% in individual studies, with a false positive rate of anywhere from 0% to 0.25%. Before cell-free DNA screening, a baseline ultrasound can be helpful to determine if cell-free DNA can be done or not. These findings include an earlier-than-expected gestational age, confirmation of viability, number of fetuses, the presence of a vanishing twin or empty gestational sac, or presence of a fetal anomaly. One retrospective study of high-risk patients found at least one of these factors in 16% of first-trimester ultrasound exams, and this, of course, can throw off the cell-free DNA result. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we've covered that traditionally cell-free DNA was for trisomy 21, 13, 18, and fetal sex or the sex chromosome aneuploides. Now, as a side, remember that cell-free DNA can also be used at times to determine the fetal RH status when RH incompatibility is a concern. But what about other potential chromosomal abnormalities that can be identified by cell-free DNA? What does the college say about those conditions? Well, in addition to screening for the common aneuploidies, some labs offer testing for other aneuploidies like trisomy 16 and trisomy 22. They also offer microdeletion testing and genome-wide screening for large copy number changes, also called copy number variants. Non-mosaic fetal trisomy 16 or 22 is associated with a non-viable gestation. Now, a mosaic trisomy 16 or mosaic 22 can be associated with fetal survival. However, according to the college, screening is not recommended because the screening accuracy with regard to detection and the false positive rate is not yet established. Screening for a limited number of microdeletions with cell-free DNA is commercially available. However, this testing has not been validated clinically and also is not recommended by the college. Although microdeletions are relatively common, when considered as a whole, cell-free DNA panels only check for a few significant microdeletions, and these are kind of rare. So the positive predictive value for these microdeletions and for this testing is really, really low. If a microdeletion is identified through cell-free DNA screening, it needs to be confirmed by a diagnostic test, as most positive results will be false positive because of the low prevalence of these disorders. Lastly, let's cover genome-wide cell-free DNA screening, which is offered by some commercial labs. According to the college, genome-wide cell-free DNA screening for large deletions or duplications is also offered by these commercial laboratory entities. This testing evaluates the entire genome and is designed to detect abnormalities larger than those evaluated by cell-free DNA micro-deletion screening. Screening for these ancillary disorders is not recommended by the college because this testing has not been validated clinically and the screening accuracy with regards to detection and false positive rates is not yet established.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's wrap this up with some rapid-fire questions as we get towards the end of the podcast. First, who should be offered screening or who should be offered diagnostic testing? Now, first of all, remember, and ACOG makes this important point, that historically, genetic diagnostic testing like CVS or Amnio was reserved for patients considered to be high risk because of maternal age or personal or family history. But that's not the case anymore. Screening and diagnostic testing, which is CVS or Amnio, for chromosomal abnormalities should be discussed and offered to all patients early in pregnancy, and that is regardless of maternal age or baseline risk. This is because of the personal nature of prenatal testing decision-making, as well as the inefficiency of offering testing only to patients at high risk. The current recommendation is that all patients be offered both screening and diagnostic testing options. Question number two, what is the specific counseling that should be done for younger women that opt in for cell-free DNA? Well, now, younger women are a special population because even though cell-free DNA is very accurate as a screening tool, specifically for trisomy 21, younger women need to understand that they're at higher risk for having a fetus with an abnormality that's better detected by a diagnostic test like microarray analysis. Nonetheless, it's still part of informed decision-making, and as long as they understand the limitations of cell-free DNA, then it can still be offered in that patient population. All right, we're moving on to question three. What about cell-free DNA after a positive serum annulate screen? In other words, after a positive quad test, but a patient doesn't want to get a diagnostic procedure like an amnio, can they get a cell-free DNA? Well, ACOG says yes, but there needs some clarification. The use of cell-free DNA screening as a follow-up for patients with a screen-positive serum analyte test is an option, according to the college, for patients who want to avoid a diagnostic procedure. However, patients need to be informed that this approach can actually delay definitive diagnosis and can fail to identify some fetuses with chromosomal abnormalities that are just not detectable by cell-free DNA. According to the college, the residual risk that a chromosomal abnormality is present when they have an abnormal serum analyte test in the second trimester, but a normal cell-free DNA test is still about 2%. Podcast team, we made it to the final question, and this is really kind of the most concerning for the mom, because whoever would have thought that a screen-positive cell-free DNA result could lead to a maternal diagnosis of malignancy. When a screen-positive cell-free DNA result differs from the fetal karyotype, the etiology can include several things like maternal mosaism, but it could also occur secondary to a maternal malignancy. Malignancy in pregnancy is defined as cancer in the pregnancy or up to one year postpartum, and it complicates about one in 1,000 pregnancies. Here's a clinical pearl. If a single monosomy other than 45X, or if there's more than one aneuploidy detected in cell-free DNA, the incidence of malignancy is increased in the mother. 
In patients with multiple aneuploidies identified by cell-free DNA, the incidence of occult malignancy has been reported to be as high as 18%, although follow-up data from that study are incomplete. Of the reported cases in that series, the majority of malignancies have been hematological, but other types of cancer like anal or colorectal have also been identified. If unusual or multiple aneuploidies are noted, then a family history should be obtained for familial cancer syndromes and a complete physical exam for lymphadenopathy, breast, thyroid masses, or any other abnormality should be performed. Consultation with oncology is strongly recommended, as well as imaging studies. Now, given the rarity of this presentation, no guidelines are available at this time. Patients with unusual or multiple aneuploidies detected by cell-free DNA should be referred for genetic counseling and MFM consultation along with the oncologist. This has been the ACOG Practice Bulletin Summary for Practice Bulletin number 226, Screening for Fetal Chromosomal Abnormalities. We're thankful for you. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on another episode.